1: Blue wire. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Pallotto. We come to you again today, or tonight, after another loss, the Giants' seventh consecutive loss. Just when we thought they hit rock bottom against the Jets, they were largely uncompetitive after, blowing multiple chances handed to them on a silver platter by the Bears in the first half. The Giants haven't won a football game now since September 29th. They're currently slated with the draft slot needed to get Chase Young. That's the positive. There were some other positives, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. We're going to get to all those tonight. We're also going to get to the negatives, of course, and as usual with this team, there are plenty of them. Let's start here, though, Nick. Knowing what you know about the organization and what you've seen, on a scale of 1 to 10, how high is Pat Shermer's coaching seat?
2: I think it should be, guys. Friends, I think it should be. Really hot, and I'm talking about you know Death Valley hot. Talking about you know Carmen Electra in the '90s hot. Okay, I'm talking about hot pockets fresh out of the microwave. <laughs> hot. Okay, everybody. I, I mean, this this is a terrible look. You're talking about seven games in a row. The Giants haven't won a game in October or November. This is absolutely insane. And I do believe that in John Mayer's eyes as well. After this, I know that owner specifically does not like to be embarrassed. I believe it is very hot even in his mind. But I'm as a giants fans i'm sure all of you guys feel the same i think it should be even hotter than what it probably is but i feel if if the giants do not beat the redskins and the dolphins and are largely uncompetitive down this stretch which it looks like they may be then i think he is going to be gone at the end of the year
1: yeah Nick, i think this seat is really hot i didn't think i'd say this about this organization i know they don't want to they didn't want to at least at any cost have to go through another coaching search just two years after the last one. This is not the organization they want to be, but it is the organization that they have become because that's what happens when you have a head coach like Pat Shurmur And you know what? I didn't think it could get worse than Ben McAdoo, and I don't think it has yet with Pat Shermer. but it's damn close. It's damn close. I'm putting this hot seat. You didn't give it a number, Nick. I'm going to give it a 9.1 because I really do believe that even if he does manage to find ways to beat the Washington Redskins, and the Miami Dolphins get to four wins. If they are uncompetitive in the other games, especially key games like against the Philadelphia Eagles, one which will be at MetLife Stadium, a place John Mara hates to be embarrassed, I think that he'll just realize that a decision and a change has to come. And at this point, you're just not seeing a lot of fight from Pat Shermer in these post game, you know locker room situations where he's answering questions about the team and just shrugging his shoulders on the sidelines. And you're seeing similar miscues and mistakes of a team that is losing a losing football team, a team that has lost seven straight. So yes, Nick, I do believe that we're getting to a point where he could actually be gone this, this off season, which I never thought would happen. And then we have to start thinking about guys like like rule we have to start talking about coaching candidates i never yeah. thought we'd get there and that's the worst part for me because they're going to be in a very similar position to one they were last off season if they do fire pat Shermer, it's the sad reality of the nfl i talk about the scarcity of the offensive tackles we talk about the scarcity of that deep half safety the scarcity of the quarterback position start talking about the scarcity of the head coach position because a lot of these hires are failures it is tough to get a good head coach and they had one with tom coughlin The Ravens had one with John Harbaugh. I like these John Harbaugh, Tom Coughlin types, Nick. I'll be honest with you. When we get to that point of this offseason, if it does come, I'm going to be gunning for those types. I don't want a hot coordinator. I want a guy who takes a step back and lets other people run his offense and other people run his defense. Um, But that's where I'm at now when it comes to Shermer. But this kind of wants – and, you know – one important fact here, by the way, about this game, Nick, that I thought was interesting that I read after the game. This was Pat Shermer's 60th career game as an NFL head coach, Nick, and out of all head coaches who have coached at least 60 games, only Gus Bradley and David Shula have a worse overall record. So let that sink in for a second.
2: It's It's just not a good scene. I think his saving grace is going to be the fact that he has a rookie quarterback that has shown strides. Now, say that he does win two games, finishes four and 12, one game shy of what they finished in 2018. He could maybe try to pitch that to ownership, be like, look, we were one game worse, but we had a rookie quarterback. Look how good he played. You know, we had injuries to Saquon Barkley. They'll try to lean on that bullshit. They could talk about the injuries to Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram, and that might buy him another year. So if I did have to assign him a number, it would probably be 7.5 to eight, somewhere around there. But I mean if they are largely uncompetitive, not to reiterate, man, it, it's looking like it because like we said, John Mayer does not like to be embarrassed. And another thing about a scarcity of the head coaches, that's kind of like how the NFL just is because somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. And if your team is losing, then you're going to be out and they're going to try to find so a replacement to – win and it's a cyclical cycle where if you just aren't on that top tier that top echelon then you're just going to be out of a job within two years if you can't mount these wins especially with people like you look at the AFC East man you look at Bill Belichick just being there time and time again winning that division it's freaking hard for those other three teams to maintain a coaching staff because they're never winning that division
1: yeah I mean it's a great point you look at what they've done the job that Belichick's done this year it's really just unbelievable watching that Patriots team win football games with A 43-year-old Tom Brady, an offensive line that's nothing like it was last year, a running game that's nothing like it was last year, wide receivers. You know, you hear Eagles fans complaining about their wide receiver situation. but Meanwhile, with a great offensive line, and it's just like, well, the Patriots don't have wide receivers either. They're down to the same second, third stringers. They don't have an offensive line blocking well either, and they don't have a running back running well. So exactly why is Tom Brady finding a way to move the ball a little bit more than Carson Wentz? And that's kind of the difference between those two teams, at least it was today. And the other key factor is Bill Belichick versus Doug Peterson, Bill Belichick versus anyone. And finding that right guy is such a hard thing to do. The Giants found it for a little while with Tom Coughlin. I believe at the end of that run, most people were ready to move on. Some people weren't. Um, In the long run, the Giants probably made a mistake to move on from Coughlin rather than Eli Manning. I know it's tough to hear. I know Giants fans don't want to hear that now. Some don't. But, you know, if they had started that process a bit earlier at the quarterback position – Tom Coughlin might still be here, and that might be the overall best decision. Now he was getting old and age, so it, you know at some point they they were gonna have to move on there anyway. Yeah,
2: I mean, um, you're not you're not wrong about that. But another reason why, and this is gonna hurt Giants fans and hurts me, just think about it. Another reason why the Giants moved on from Tom Coughlin not only was it time, but it was because Ben McAdoo might have got a job somewhere else so it was just to retain ben mcadoo who was that quote-unquote hot offensive coordinator hire that people were trying to get because eli had career numbers with him so the giants like we need to retain him he has rapport with eli let's try to kick the can with eli again and retain this new head coach and we all know how that history unfolded there and that's just like really gut-wrenching to think about
1: yeah and he was just largely more unprepared than even somebody like pat Shermer. he just wasn't ready to be a head coach at all really didn't have enough experience as a coordinator and that whole process is interesting because you know you look at some of those career numbers and it's like a lot of those numbers in in those two career years and they weren't per- totally careers because obviously 2011 was his best season yeah, um, but in those two years a lot of that was you know the Giants falling behind they had a 50. 2-51, to 51, I believe, or 49-50 to loss to the Saints that went nuts in the Superdome. They were playing from behind a lot and taking advantage of an easy AFCE schedule. I know they beat up on the Dolphins that year from a passing standpoint, the Jets, the Bills. So it's so it's, it's tough when you look back at some of the, the reason why the Giants moved in that direction. But at the same time, where we're at now is this guy's losing. He's losing just as often as Ben McAdoo. They've made the switch. And again, how, the expectations for this team shouldn't be, you know, 9-7, and 10-6, 11-5. That makes no sense. They have the least amount of salary cap space in the entire NFL allocated to the defense side of the ball. They have a ton of dead cap just from these decisions where, you know, they had to get you know, they moved on from Odell Beckham, Damon Harrison, all this dead cap tied to these players. Um, and then at the same time, they have a rookie quarterback game and no real solution at the left and right tackle position or the center position. So, you know, they're, they're a team that's missing a lot of pieces. So he wasn't supposed to win 9, 10, 11 games, but they had to win six games, and they had to be more competitive than they are, and they're just not there. And like we talked about on the last podcast, Nick, what did John Mara say before the season? I want to walk off that field at the end of the season feeling confident that we're headed in a positive direction. And right now, you can't say they are. And if that continues, then there's really only one solution. That's why I have it at a 9-1 right now. I really think that the, the Giants could move on from – but on that note, Nick, I did want to ask you something, and I wanted you to talk a little bit about – the other hot potential hot seat. And that's general manager, Dave Gettleman. So same question, one to 10 scale, where do you put Dave Gettleman's uh, general manager seat right now?
2: I do feel Dave Gettleman's seat is a little bit less hot than Pat Schumer, but it's still hot. Nonetheless, I would say probably seven at this moment. Cause I mean, you look at some of the moves Gettleman has made, he's drafted relatively well. He's hit on a lot of late round picks, Granted, there's only been two draft classes. You got to look at Ryan Connolly. I know it's a small sample size, but he came into the NFL and he was opening some eyes before he tore his ACL. Darius Slayton is an obvious hit as well. B.J. Hilch had flashes his rookie season. I think Lorenzo Carter hasn't put it all together, but he has unique athletic ability. But his free agent signings have been somewhat questionable i think the patrick omame signing that we have talked about on the podcast before you look at nate solder and how he's been playing it's been downhill you know that the patriots were ready to let the left tackle just walk out and then you look at his just heavy investment in the interior defensive line and the lack of pass rush for the giants i mean on that one third and ten play where trubisky i'm sorry he didn't get that first down in the second quarter with i want to say like it was like the beginning of the second quarter Trubisky had all day. They Giants sent four. Then he rushed for like 11 yards, and they said he got the first down. But he started that slide before. That's just me on my soapbox, though. Do you know what I'm talking about, though, Dan? Yeah, I
1: also thought he started that slide before
2: as well. But it doesn't even matter. They ended up punting the ball anyways. But, yeah, I would have to say Dave Gettleman's hot uh, seat is probably around seven. That's where the number I would assign to it. I look at the uh, Leonard Williams trade – I do feel it's a high upside trade for a 25-year-old who has that kind of length. I don't feel like his contributions are going to be maximized unless unless this team gets a number one pass rusher. And those guys do not grow on trees. Granted, the Giants may have a chance at Chase Young. And I know a lot of Giants fans want Chase Young. I know I want Chase Young. I'm sure you want Chase Young. But it might not happen. And then you're just stuck there with a bunch of oversized 300-pound interior defensive linemen with no true edge rusher.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, the way I look at it, I'm going to give his—this is, again, not what I would put his hot seat as, but what is actual hot seat for me, I'm going to give it a 4-5. I don't think the Giants are going to move on from a GM uh, within two years, especially not a guy who's been in the organization. I don't think they want to go through that search again because that is a little more complicated. That is a little—it's a little easier to change head coaches than it is to change general managers, uh, pretty sure. But having said that, if you ask me where my personal hot seat for Dave Gettleman is— it's probably 8-8. It's the highest it's ever been. This is the lowest I've been on Gettleman since he was hired for the Giants. because, And it's a lot about what we talked about before we started recording, Nick. For me, he started pouring countless assets into this defensive line, which is fine if you have a plan and it works. And sure, the Giants' run defense is finally starting to get there. Today, they held the Bears to 65 yards on 26 attempts, 2.5 yards per carry. It's the second week in a row where they dominated um, up front in the run game. But, you know, you could celebrate this as an accomplishment, but the reality of the situation is in today's version of the the NFL, the 2019 version, stopping the run only does so much, and the Giants have invested so many assets into doing so. And you're talking about using an early third-round pick they acquired for Jason Pierre-Paul in a trade that I lauded because it was so important to get rid of that JPP contract, especially in Betcher's defense. But then you turn it into B.J. Hill, a guy who, you know, now we're looking at it. However many months later, and they've already acquired Dexter Lawrence with a first-round pick. They have traded for Leonard Williams, another interior guy, with a third-round pick, which again is going to be a very high third-round pick, which is essentially a second-rounder. And that's using so many assets there, two early third and a first on a position that, yeah, it's stopping the run now, but they're not getting enough pressure. We're not having game-changing sacks and pressures from Lawrence and from Hill and from Williams on a consistent basis. And when you allocate all those assets, you lose out on a guy like Fred Warner, who you watched tonight have such an impact. For the san francisco 49ers at that second level you lose out on those guys those second and third round those top 60 prospects at the linebacker position the giants are just not investing in at the deep half safety position the giants are just not investing in at the center position the giants are just not investing in at the left and right tackle positions the giants are just not investing in and when you do that you know you're putting you're digging yourself into a corner for me Gettleman and then that compounds on some of his decisions you know The free agency decisions you went over. Even Nate Solder decision I defended for a while. Well, he may be playing hurt this year, Nick, but he's terrible and he's expensive and they can't get out of his contract next year. So you look at all these things start to pile up and you start to think, well, maybe he has to be gone too. And it's crazy because after last season, I was a little hiring him because they had a nice second half. But some of those rookies from that 2018 class, Nick, you talked about Connolly and Slayton from this class. Sure, we can give them credit for that. But Baker hasn't come on like he should. And, you know, Dexter Lawrence is starting to slow down a little bit, at least from a pass rushing standpoint, and they're not getting as much of an impact from a guy like O'Shane Ximenes. And then you look at that 2018 class, regression from Hernandez, somewhat to to some extent regression from Carter. And I think fans are a little harder on Carter than me and you are, Nick. Am I wrong about that?
2: No, no. I mean, I'm not super hard on Carter. I just think he, I mean, he was raw coming into that draft and I still think he is raw. Traits are there though.
1: Sure. But then you've got Hill and then you've got guys that are just, and then the red, the, the back half of that draft and then the day three is a disaster. They don't have anything contributing there. So, you know, you look at that and that's one of two classes, um, in addition to some really, some struggling, some struggles in free agency, let's just say. Um, so, you know, for me, I'm starting to be down on it, but you know what, Nick, it is that time of the year that we have to start talking about where the giants are in the NFL 2020 draft class. And, um, after, you know, week 12 now, we have a lot more to go on. We have strength of schedule rankings, too. So right now, the Giants would currently be in the second pick overall, Nick, with a 2-9 and nine record shared with Miami and shared with Washington. But they would win the tiebreaker right now over both Miami and Washington based on their strength of schedule. And if it comes push to shove and they have the same record as Denver, who's 3-8, and eight, or Atlanta, who's 3-8, and eight, It will be a similar situation where the Giants are very likely to win that tiebreaker just based on the fact that they had an easier strength schedule. That's really how bad the Giants have been. They can't even win games against the AFC East um, and whoever's on this year's schedule. But if Giants fans are interested in getting Chase Young, they're going to have to have either the second or third pick in this draft. And most likely now with the two injury, Nick, it's going to be that second pick. So, Nick, for you, for us. For anyone who listens to this podcast, you want to be rooting for wins for the Bengals, wins for the Dolphins, wins for the Redskins, wins for the Broncos, and wins for the Falcons. It's Dolphins, uh, Bengals, Redskins, Broncos, and Falcons. But what do you make of the current standing for the Giants? Are you kind of leaning on if they can get a shot at Chase Young, draft him?
2: Of course, yeah. If you can get a shot at him, he's a generational type of prospect, and I don't use that word lightly. He's, you, we saw it this Saturday – when they played penn state and we've seen it throughout the entire season he's that nick bosa esque type pass rusher someone who could just come in and change your defense the giants do not have the foundation the 49ers have but that is what i'm hoping happens and i'm not sitting there rooting against the giants to win or anything ridiculous like that but i hope the cards do fall in place to where the giants have a real legitimate shot at drafting him and if that takes the giants having the second overall pick and then possibly moving on from this head coach and bringing in somebody who Maybe he's a little bit more competent, a little bit more prepared for the job. Then, yes, I'm all about that.
1: Yeah, and you talk about being prepared for the job. I have no idea, Nick, and I know I went off and on, on Twitter. But why are the Giants running a fake handoff to a fullback who has 12 carries this year on third and one from a heavy personnel package, tight personnel, only to pitch at five yards behind the line of scrimmage to number 26, Saquon Barkley? Did you see how many Bears defenders were staring at Barkley on that play before he got the pitch? There were it, 50 it, guys.
2: Uh, it made no sense, man. You had two defenders just waiting for him out there. Barkley can't do anything in that situation. It's just another time where it's just, what are you doing? Are you, out, are you outsmarting yourself? Are you really like, considering your entire playbook and everything that you have at your disposal in that specific situation? <laughs> what are you doing, man? Like, uh, it's, it's time and time again, man. It happens every, every game. We sit here and we talk about head scratching. There's going to be coaching decisions that won't make sense sometimes. But I feel like with this coaching staff, it's much more often than son- sometimes. You know what I'm saying? And it's whether it's management or play calling, man, it's every game something egregious happens. And it's it's really just getting old.
1: And really, it's mostly—it's not just really whether it's management or play calling. For the most part, it's been both management and play calling. You talk about yes. the end-of-the-game situation where the Giants were out coached when they weren't prepared for that, that bluffed punt by the Bears. I mean, come on, Pat. You really think that Matt Nagy's going to— Go for it on fourth and two from his own thirty in that situation. Give me a break. It's it's just sad that you're not ready and prepared for that possibility of a bluff there. Exactly. And he lose thirty yards of field position.
2: And, and Dan, and it's not even just the fact that say say in whatever world Pat Shermer thought that Matt Nagy was definitely going for it, and then they bring the punt team on. Pat, you can substitute by rule. Right. You're allowed to substitute there. Exactly. And you had a choice. There's no way you didn't know that, and you still didn't put Golden Tate out there. And you had Janoris Jenkins back there who hasn't fielded a punt since probably, like, what? His first contract, like 2012 or something. It's, I
1: don't know. Yeah, the fact that you, the matter is that you just brought it up right there. If you have the ability to substitute that and you're not doing it, you are really doing a bad job at your job as head coach. Be aware of every situation situationally that's your job. That's what the other you know, that's what Bill Belichick's gonna do. That's what all the good coaches are gonna do. John Harbaugh, watch him watch him tomorrow night, Kyle Shanahan, the guys are winning football games. And you talk about the misplays from this team, Nick. We see it every week. The Giants designed an excellent wheel route to get Saquon Barkley open and then he drops what should have been, which would would have likely been a touchdown. I mean, he's probably gonna beat the safety there. I don't think the safety has any angle on him on that play. I mean, just talk about that. How did they what what do we make of this?
2: We constantly harp on Pat Shermer, and I believe it's rightfully so. But there are times – I mean he's a professional head coach. He knows football. There are times where he designs the right play, and that is a common play. It's a mesh concept with the wheel and the snag route over top. We've talked about it on the podcast. It was obvious man coverage, and they were in that two-by-two set. Both were going inside with the snag and the mesh. So that was going to create traffic from Raekwon Smith getting over to the wheel route because it was man coverage, obvious man coverage. Barkley was wide open. Beautiful pass on the upfield shoulder just – All Barkley had to do was secure it with his hands and Barkley drops it. It's like if – Pat Shermer like it's like bad luck for Shermer in some sort of way because it's like if he makes the right call which he doesn't do too too often if he makes that right call the execution's off whether it's a lineman missing a block Saquon missing a block Saquon dropping a pass somebody else dropping a pass something goes wrong and it's just just as such a negative vibe around the New York Giants right now but Saquon Barkley knows it everybody knows it. you have to catch that pass and you probably are gone there that's probably gonna be a touchdown and that's a game-changing play right that changes the entirety of the game and I feel like every time the Giants are faced with that situation this year where it's like oh that could have been a game-changing play they always come out on the bad end of it they always come out on the poor end of it every single game.
1: yeah and that's you know part and part and i don't want to give Schirmer any kind of break because he had that play he had a nice design when they ran the zone read keeper and jones kept it rolling to his running to his right and then pitched it back to the left and and he ran across the lines he had some good plays a couple good plays in there and that should be happening more often but You know, it takes Pat Shermer until eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, Nick, to finally spread the ball out where he finally starts to find success running the ball with Saquon Barkley. And he finally starts to find success moving the ball, 97-yard touchdown drive, letting Jones throw it, throwing the ball on first down instead of running it on every first down and putting yourself in position, you know, where you're in second, third, and long. And it just amazes me that it took them that long to start using tempo and to start changing their game plan to attack the Bears' defense, clearly for the Giants today in this game. And you cannot argue with this because it literally is borne out in the results. Clearly, the Giants were a more effective team attacking this Bears personnel and defensive system when they spread it out and went 11 personnel and used Jones from the shotgun. However, it took the Giants and, and Tempo. And however, it took the Giants until there were eight minutes left in the, in the entire game to get to that point, down 19-7. And that's just unacceptable Um, Obviously, the run game they've been trying to get going from 12 personnel at times and from under center with tight formations and the receivers, all the things we talked about, Nick, it's just obviously not working. It wasn't working again today. You know, the, the, we've talked about some of the culprits. Hal Hunter certainly deserves a lot of blame. These offensive linemen have not developed. This running game is not developed. But a lot of it should go on Shermer because on the flip side, Nick, you saw Matt Nagy come out in that second half, adjust to what Betcher was showing, and find creases and holes in the secondary and the coverage to get big plays in the passing game from a quarterback like Mitch Trubisky. And what do you make of Mitch Trubisky? Because I thought he was unbelievably bad in this game for the most part. He's been
2: unbelievably bad, basically, since he was drafted, and I think everybody, including Matt Nagy, is aware of that.
1: I mean, I know he ended up with with almost 300 yards passing, almost 300 yards passing, and we had, like, 278, which looks good on paper, but, I mean, two interceptions were horrible. He should have had a couple others, and... A lot of that to me was just, you know, Matt Nagy finding ways to beat the Giants. He had a nice throw to Robinson, um, but you know, a couple of nice ones there. But, you know, I wasn't too impressed there. But what do you make of just kind of the differences there? Because the Giants on the flip side, they went one of 12 on third downs. And, you know, the Giants had been successful or more successful, I should say, on third downs after turning over to Daniel Jones. But not today. One of 12 and two of four. So what do you think the Bears did to kind of stymie that?
2: I mean I'm excited to kind of dive into the tape to really see what they were doing like in the trenches. But this defense is legit, and this defense is handcuffed by the fact that their offensive line can't really block or establish a run. I know the Giants had a good uh, – we're applauding the Giants' defensive line for stopping the run. But they haven't been able to really establish a run too much this year unless it was like big runs and they had some sort of lead that was usually assisted by the defense. I want to say it was against maybe – Did they play the Chargers this year? They had like a big lead lead and I think David Montgomery went off. But they haven't – on the whole, they have not done super well establishing the run. And their quarterback is really not that good. It really handcuffs that defense. But that defense has a lot of talent. They're at home against a Giants team that's pretty hapless right now. And it just seemed like mistakes – on both sides of the ball when it comes to the offsides on consecutively with the Giants, just giving yards back to the Bears. It seemed like that happened a few different times. But, I mean, I would have to really see what they were doing in the secondary pre-snap, post-snap in the All-22 film to really give you a, a full yeah, of course, a full outlook on how they were exactly uh, doing it in the secondary and everything like that. And especially in the trenches, too, with their stunts and everything like that. But they have Khalil Mack, and he was defeating right. Nate Solder on the edge. And, I mean, you saw the Giants, they would keep – a tight end in to help things like that. And sometimes it didn't even matter because Mac was going to get around whoever we put out there or whoever the giants put out there. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. What'd you make of Jones in this one? Cause I thought, you know, obviously with one of 12 on third downs, two of four and fourth downs, it wasn't an easy game for him. Um, you know, what did you make of his performance today? Do you, how much blame do you pin on him for the fumble and, and whatnot?
2: really don't blame him that much for that fumble at
1: all i mean he yeah, was blindsided by mac i mean people are going to call it again they're going to knock him for they're going to talk about his fumble total but let's be honest it's a great play by mac
2: yeah i mean i thought daniel jones it wasn't his best game it was definitely wasn't his best game. He no. missed a couple throws, and he should have had a couple interceptions, to be honest, especially when you think about the fact that, what, they opened the game. The Bears opened the game by kicking the ball out of bounds. They gifted the Giants with so much good field position. The Giants can never really capitalize. But, again, this is a good defense. It wasn't his best game. I still thought he had some bright spots as well at the same time. I mean, if Saquon Barkley catches that pass, his numbers are a lot better. And I want to say there were a couple other instances where, I want to say Golden Tate dropped the pass. That was uh, pretty important. Things along those lines. And he's also playing without Evan Ingram. Sterling Shepard, I don't know really where he was at all game. It didn't seem like he was even involved in the game plan. I'm not even sure why the Giants are playing him. If he has all these concussions issues, that's kind of scary. He takes one big hit. I mean, that could be the guy's career. And that's like legit talk. So it definitely wasn't Daniel Jones' best game. But uh, I still saw some flashes of, okay, this is uh, on the road in the Windy City. It's going uh, to get a really good defense. So I think there's things to build upon. But wasn't uh didn't jump out at me
1: yeah no definitely not his best game one of his worst games probably but also more so just the bears defense has this offensive system totally figured out even last year when you look back at the giants last year they won the game because they had multiple interceptions one returned for a touchdown by ogletree they had a trick play touchdown when odell beckham threw the ball like over the top to i want to say russell Shepard the offense didn't really move the ball at all against the bears last year this and they had that early interception when when it looked like beckham kind of uh you know didn't didn't want to run the slant over the middle but and that was in last year's game but you look at this year's game similar type thing in the first half the Giants offense Schirmer's system and his play calling mix just simply isn't a good fit against this bear system it opened up a little bit when the Giants finally uh used some tempo and went to the gun there and, and then you even saw the running game start to get going and that was like the one thing that was working last year against the Bears and it was mostly in the second half but I just feel like Jones was kind of at a disadvantage in this game uh, based on kind of that matchup. But again, he made some good plays. The fourth and 18 was awesome. I mean, he puts that ball up in a position for his receiver to make a play, and that's Golden Tate. And that's all you can ask for on a fourth and 18 while avoiding the initial sack by stepping up into the pocket from edge pressure around. You guessed it, the left side, Nate Solder's side. And then while almost getting hit. Um, he puts that ball, you know, in a good spot for Tate. He also had a nice run for a first down, of course, 26 yards. I believe it was the longest run uh, by any giant in the game. So there were some positives for sure. There were some negatives like Nick said, like you said, Nick, I mean, two, two at least two balls should have been, or at least one ball should have been intercepted, maybe two. Um, and obviously one of 12 on third downs killed the Giants. But again, a lot of those third down situations were third and longs again, because that seems to be the common case for this offense as they consistently try to run on first down and, do things that get themselves behind the sticks, penalties, um, you know, killing the Giants. So yeah. I think that that was kind of more so. What do you make of the, the kicking game uh, for the Giants now, Nick? Because it really seems to be just progressing
2: hard. I, I just want to puke into a trash can. I mean, we, we've been kind of knocking it the last couple of weeks, and rightfully so, man. I mean, Aldrick Rosas hasn't. Is just regressed. It's, it, we all know kicking is a very mental thing, and it's obviously in his head. He kicks it out of bounds. He misses two important field goals. Again, that could have changed the entirety of this game. And it makes you think. I hear – I heard – I didn't see, but I heard on Twitter, and you know guys know Twitter doesn't lie, that Shermer and Rosas might have got into it a little bit. I don't know if it was on the sideline or locker room. not really 100 percent sure. But there's a pretty good kicker who's probably going to get cut this week, and his name's Chase McLaughlin who just played for the San Francisco 49ers, because Robbie Gould is going to be coming back. Do the Giants think about moving on? I'm I'm not 100% sure. They seem like they're pretty married to Aldrich Rosas. I mean, he was a pro bowler last year. But these kicks, man, it's just, it has not been good. And the snapping has not been good. It's kind of on the whole, it's the entire operation right now. So you can't fully blame Rosas. But this is kind of, hasn't been the anomaly, because he's been missing kicks a few different times. But Zach Diossi, that snap, I mean, it just rolled. I do not even know how that happened. And it was a pretty good recovery, but it does throw off the timing. So it's one of those things, man, where I, I look at it and it's just the special teams of the Giants, I feel like hasn't been good since I've liked the Giants. And <laughs> since I've like really followed this team, I, I always feel like the special teams have not been good. And I'm pretty sure Tom Quinn is still the assistant on this staff. Am I correct in that?
1: He has a role on the staff. He was mostly there when uh, special teams coordinator Thomas he was sick um, and and recovering and I believe he does still have a role on this team. But to be fair, Nick, the Giants did move all the way from number 31 or number 32 in special teams DVOA in 2017 to number three overall last year in 2018. So by all accounts, it was great last year. But a lot of that is because they factor in Rose's all pro season. And, you know, Giants have probably gone from number one in kicking DVOA to number 32, not 32, but probably, you know, 28, 29, 30 range uh, this season. And for me, as far as Rose's goes, I, I i i would not i would not move on from for me I believe kicking is is all mental and I think he's going through a bad mental thing but I think next year he could pop right back into a good mental state and he still has a leg talent so I think for me I'd just be searching for leg talent guys um and just hoping to get them on the right track because you know you sign a guy like you're saying mcLaughlin or any you can name any name and you could you can get him and he'll he could go through the same process he could have yeah. stretches where he's where he's confident and stretches where he's not confident and it's just kind of the nature of the game but right now rose is not confident And, and, you know, he's putting the Giants in a tough spot to win football games. So if you're looking to win games right now, then sure, I could see them, you know, making a move. But I don't think the Giants are in a position where, you know, they need to be rushing to win football games if, if it comes at a cost for the long term future. And I do still believe Roses can be the answer there. So for me, I would hang on.
2: Okay. No, that's that's fair enough and I can totally see where you're coming from with that. And uh we all know one person is really wants to win these games is Pat Shermer. And <laughs> if he's getting his arguments for real size, I wonder what, uh that whole thing actually yeah. how that went down. Because man, I, I try to put my, my head in Pat Shermer's head for a second and I'm like, Could you imagine you put your team in a position to score and all you have to do is rely on your kicker and your kicker misses and your job's on the line and misses two field goals at six points? That's a huge thing, and it's just one of those things well,
1: whew, Yeah. I mean, that's one really was not his off. fault, though. One was Deossi's yeah. fault. bad. That's two long snaps. I, I wrote a tweet about this, and I stand by this. That's two back-to-back weeks of missed field goals based on his snapping. For me, that's cut, That's a cuttable offense. I, you're a long snapper, or whatever your job is. You snap footballs. Get, get it right every single time. If you're going to get it wrong once, go ahead. If you want to get it wrong again, make sure it's like eight to ten weeks later in an NFL season, if you're going to do it a second time in a season. Back-to-back weeks, see ya. And I know they pay him. And I know he was re-signed to a decent deal, but, you know, enough is enough. They, they, signed, you know, they had a guy in there during training camp. He has some familiarity with the team. Bring him in because this, this is unacceptable. You can't have that happen um, two weeks in a row or two games in a row, I should say. Yeah, no, not at all few more things nick i did want to touch on and obviously first would be getting to the defense side of the ball where again like i said they were dominant against the run and really made the bears one-dimensional but kind of broke down were some of the lapses and coverages just kind of you know Corey valentine getting more snaps and playing going from d2 football to the nfl and things things of that nature did you kind of see some things that worried you from baker beal who finally got some snaps sam beal and even julian love who you know got in the game and made made a couple plays?
2: I saw Beal at least once, maybe twice be kind of late on his release when he was, I want to say he was in the slot and it was probably like the second quarter. The, uh, the receiver came off the line of scrimmage, opened his hips and went inside and it took Beal a little bit to like kind of follow him and kind of just plant his uh, outside foot and just trail him. And I want to say it was a completion on the play. And I was just like, oh, that's a little weird. So I think he's just adjusting to the speed of the game. And these are yeah. a lot of young kids and everything like that. So I'm not overly concerned. I also s- thought that Trubisky had some success on those rollouts and things like that. Kind of move the pocket kind of plays. Kind of finding the angles to throw people open against man coverage. And uh, it's just kind of hard for these younger cornerbacks to stay in the hip pocket of guys like Alan Robinson and things along those lines. But I mean, we've seen worse coverage lapses throughout this year, I'll tell you that much. And I am excited to see the All-22, though.
1: Yeah, I thought the defense had an overall—a better game overall, so I am also excited to see if that's kind of confirmed on the All-22, and you want to see some progress there. And like you said, I mean, Allen Robinson's a guy who, you know, you'll never know this because fantasy football and stats and everything like that, but he's probably one of—I think he's one of the best route runners in the NFL, I really do, and I I watch him separate consistently, and the ball's never there because he has Trubisky, but— you know, sometimes it gets there, and he's just so open. Uh, so I don't, I don't totally go crazy on the defensive backs for, uh, for that. I mean, you know, we talked already, kind of in the Gettleman segment about, you know, where we're at with the defensive line. So I, I do want to give some credit to Marcus Golden, who got his ninth sack of the season this year, which is a lot um, from this point, and that was a nice little cheap signing for the Giants, though one year, so it's gonna be present itself an interesting uh, situation this off season. Where do you stand with Golden? Is it kind of just a product of cleaning up pl- more so than anything or do you think he's kind of a potential long-term piece for the giants
2: i don't know if he's going to be a long-term piece it really depends on what he's going to want and what the giants will allocate obviously uh what is golden i want to say he's like 30 31 years old something somewhere around there
1: i'm not 100- close to like 29 actually 29
2: 29 i knew he was somewhere in that ballpark has significant injury on his second contract personally i would like to to retain him at a reasonable price. I think he's a good complimentary pass rusher, but you don't want him to be your number one pass rusher. Some of his sacks have been clean up sacks this season, but there have been times where he won one-on-one matchups, whether it was against a tight end or a, you know, adequate starting tackle. And I, I like having him, on the Giants. I hope the Giants do retain him at the right price.
1: Yeah, still 28 years old. I think he could only be a 28. piece for them. Yeah, I think he could, because he's still on that second contract. He, got, he had the injury, kind of slowed him down, but he could be a piece for them. I guess it, it'll depend a lot on the price and what direction they go, not only in the defense, because James Betcher might be gone, and Dave Gettleman might be gone, but just overall with their cap allocation, one thing that interested me about this name Nick was the Giants finally looked like they came out with something new from the bye week, and it was getting Jones on the run with a play-action boot early on. He made a nice completion. Uh, they didn't really go back to it, and for me, it's just kind of like a microcosm of of my issues with Shermer. It's like he comes out and he th- and he shows he flashes a concept here or there, you know, he'll flash something interesting, but it's never. He doesn't has a game plan that's unique, and so so this game plan wasn't designed around getting Jones on the move. It was just a couple plays mixed in, and and for me, it's just it's just not enough. It's not a consistent an uh, offering from him. Is there is there anything you want to add there? Did, did you find that interesting that they finally started to get Jones on the move a little bit, but just really didn't go back to it at all?
2: I mean, I 100% agree with what you just said. I feel like Pat Shermer does that in his opening script and kind of just totally forgets about it. It leaves right. his brain. Like I feel like Shermer has like. Like I hate saying this, man, but I feel like Shermer has like five or six different passing concepts that he runs from like three yeah. or four different formations. And, it does
1: seem like it.
2: And it's like the mesh concept with the wheel and the snag over top that we talk about. Yeah the the ohio concept with yeah. the vertical and the out he has that i mean some of these are just half field concepts two man route combinations things along those lines and then he has he does do some of the some move the pocket so move the pocket obviously it's a different blocking assignment usually uh it could be a five-man protection could be six-man protection seven-man protection whatever they deem it and then you also have the the two outside receivers will run two number one receivers run to the sticks turn around and then like a deep horizontal cross from the y or the slot and it seems like those plays are like for those third second and long third and long situations and the giants are always in those situations because they usually don't do anything on first down and it's kind of concerning i don't see a lot of game planning for specific defensive coordinators and things along those lines and if he does It's one of those things where it is in that opening script, or maybe coming out of halftime, but then, you know, the second possession of the second half, or the second possession of the first half, it's it's not there. You don't see as much of it. It's like, what the hell? It's right back to those basics, like those first day or that first week install shit. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. I know. Like anybody, anybody who played college football, you know, you have your first week install, your first day install, second day, and you get all those basics, like the core identity of your team in, and then you build from there. It's a lot of that kind of shit, and I don't see a lot of deviation from that, and there's a difference between your identity and adjustments, and I don't see those adjustments, and it's really concerning.
1: <laughs> yep, it is concerning. On a positive note, I was happy to see Julian Love finally get some action, obviously, at the interception. I thought the best, his best play was uh, stopping the touchdown on what would have been a touchdown, a 60-yard play that was called back by penalty by the Bears, um, really fighting through a downfield block. He's just a guy I feel like they got to get on the, find a way to get on the field more often. Am I off there, Nick?
2: No, not at all I mean this is season Giants aren't going to the playoffs right.
1: I think you need to play get Beal
2: get Love yep. get Baker obviously and get uh, Ballantyne all the experience they can have have them learn on this season they're going to make mistakes it's going to happen have them learn especially someone like Love because he could be a part of the long-term solution to that Giants deep secondary
1: agreed agreed and I thought he had an interesting game I really liked the way he played played with a lot of heart and Really looked like a guy who wasn't playing on a two and eight team. Now, now two and nine team, I should say. Um, anyway, Nick, anyone else you want to touch on before we, you know, save the rest for the all twenty-two breakdown later this week?
2: No one in particular. Uh, we talk about Darius Slayton a lot. I thought he had a solid game again. That one release off the line of scrimmage had me freaking clapping. That was amazing. I can't remember the exact play, but he released off the line of scrimmage. Uh, stuck his outside foot in so hard that the cornerback just totally committed that way and just bolted right back inside just hit, beautiful head shoulder fake beautiful hip fake and it's just one of those things fifth round pick love it and i hope that uh he can continue to progress because it seems like he's taking the coaching really well for this giants team whereas some of the other younger players aren't
1: yeah he really has done an excellent job taking the co- coaching and you you bring it up i mean i think it's really important for everyone to consider what nick's talking about he's talking about ability to get a clean release off the line of scrimmage, which which you ask any wide receiver in the NFL, and they'll tell you that some of the best receivers are the ones who are able to get in and out of their breaks and able to create separation. And that's something I didn't exactly think I would see from Slayton. I thought he would have some big plays over the top during his rookie year, some jump ball situations because he has that vertical too, and we saw in the preseason. But he's turned into a different kind of player for the Giants. Had a really nice play on one of his catches where he created, I think it was like nine or ten yards after the catch that he really shouldn't have had um, by just breaking back and into space. Um, so really, they hit it big with Slayton. I think he's only going to continue to improve moving forward. Anyone else you want to touch on? Or is that kind of where we're at right now with the Giants as we head into the breakdown of the All-22 later this week?
2: Yeah, we're just going to head right into that breakdown yep. and really get into the skinny of it all, fellas. Yep. Ladies. We're,
1: we're nearing we're nearing the end of this season, Giants fans. We promise to stick with us. We have a lot of good stuff coming that we're already planning for the off season. We're going to be breaking down free agents, the draft. We're going to have a lot of guests on from both of those walks of the earth to kind of give us – uh, more insight onto the Giants from an outside perspective and more more so insight onto who will be on this roster next year as well, because big changes are coming. As usual, if you do enjoy the podcast, please help us uh, and support the podcast by simply downloading and subscribing to us on iTunes and leaving us a rating and review. That's the only thing we'll ever ask. And it's a really good way for us to kind of move up the charts there and build a bigger following. And also tell all your friends who like the New York Giants and want to learn more about the ins and outs of this team and why they're performing the way they do. And we promise at some point it's going to turn. It's going to turn into a more positive podcast for this team. It can't be this bad forever. It just can't be. They have a quarterback in the making, it looks like. And from that point on, you should be able to come up with something as a general manager and a head coach in the New York Giants. Now, who may that be? Time will tell. Because if we do get changes there, it's going to be an interesting offseason as well. So me and Nick are certainly looking forward to that. Anything else you want to let the listeners know before we sign out, Nick?
2: I just want to let all of you know that I hope every single one of you has a lovely day.
1: Yeah, and a happy Thanksgiving. Now, I guess we'll talk to you before Thanksgiving, but it should be a good week for all because this is always the week where work kind of slows down and you get to spend some time with family, good food. So thank you guys again for tuning into the podcast and being loyal listeners because we really enjoy doing this and we love hearing from you all the feedback we've received and we love, you know being the guys who kind of break down the giants from a different standpoint than a lot of a lot of the other podcasts and content creators are doing. So, on that note, have a great week and we'll talk to you soon.